This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Freedom to Choose. In the first half, Paul V. Johnson shares his address, Free to Choose Liberty or Captivity. Then in the second half, Ronald A. Rasband speaks on Free to Choose. It's a privilege to be here on campus again, speaking in the Marriott Center, a place where I attended a lot of devotionals while I was a student here. It's a day when we're having an election in the United States, and a lot of people are voting and making decisions on candidates and uh, ballot initiatives all over the country. And in fact, I want to speak about agency today. We deal with uh, one key aspect of the plan of salvation many times each day. In reality, many times each hour. Agency, or the ability to choose for ourselves. As I was preparing these remarks, I tried to think of a comparison to convey the importance of agency in the plan of salvation. First, I thought of a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. Have you ever put together a jigsaw puzzle and found out there's one piece missing? It can be frustrating, and the picture isn't totally complete without each piece of the puzzle. But I realize that this is not analogous to agency in the plan, because the exercise of putting the puzzle together is basically the same whether or not you have all the pieces. And the finished project looks very similar to what was intended. A more accurate comparison would be the crankshaft of an automobile engine. The crankshaft isn't just some emissions control gadget or even a power steering pump or air conditioning compressor. Without a crankshaft, the engine will not start. It won't function at all. The purpose of the engine, to move a car, cannot be accomplished. There's no way around it. This is more like agency in the plan of salvation. Without it, the plan would not work. Agency is essential to our progress and ability to become like our Father in Heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. The Savior chose good over evil in every choice He made. Part of our earthly experience consists of being enticed by both good and evil and then learning how to choose good over evil. How could we become like the Savior if we didn't have agency to make those choices? By using our agency to choose the right, we begin to put on the divine nature, to pattern our lives after His. We find peace, happiness, and freedom as we make right choices. In the pre-earth life, Lucifer tried to destroy agency. The scriptures teach us that Satan rebelled and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him. Our Heavenly Father did not allow him to destroy this precious gift of agency. In fact, his attempt to destroy it is one of the reasons he was cast out of heaven. We also learn from the scriptures that he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. This sounds a little like a contradiction. Satan tried to destroy our agency, our Heavenly Father wouldn't allow it, and cast him out. Satan will now deceive and blind men and lead them captive at his will. If he's leading people captive, doesn't that sound like he's destroying agency? Well, the fact is, he couldn't destroy agency in the pre-earth life, and he can't do it now either. If he can't destroy agency, then how could he lead us captive? He does it by enticing us to sin. When we sin, we subject ourselves to Him. We, in effect, give part of our agency to Him. He can't take it from us, but we can relinquish it. This concept is explained in the context of the early history here on earth. Wherefore it came to pass that the devil tempted Adam, and he partook of the forbidden fruit and transgressed the commandment, wherein he became subject to the will of the devil, because he yielded unto temptation. 
When we yield to temptation, we become subject to the will of the devil. Again, even though he can't destroy or take away our agency by force, we can give it up. Listen to some of the phrases from the scriptures illustrating this important idea. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. To whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. They chose evil works rather than good. Therefore the spirit of the devil did enter into them and take possession of their house, and this because of their own iniquity, being led captive by the will of the devil. Lehi taught his sons very plainly, Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. Lehi also pleaded with his sons not to choose eternal death according to the will of the flesh and the evil which is therein, which giveth the spirit of the devil power to captivate. Joseph Smith observed that Satan was generally blamed for the evils which we did. But if he was the cause of all our wickedness, men could not be condemned. The devil could not compel mankind to do evil. All was voluntary. Those who resisted the Spirit of God would be liable to be led into temptation. God would not exert any compulsory means, and the devil could not. And such ideas as were entertained on these subjects by many were absurd. Elder James E. Talmadge wrote, Satan exerts a mastery over the spirits that have been corrupted by his practices. He seeks to molest and hinder mankind in good efforts. Yet in all these malignant doings, he can go no further than the transgressions of the victim may enable him, or the wisdom of God may permit, and at any time he may be checked by the superior power. Satan's ultimate goal is to make each of us miserable like he is. Since he can't impose this misery, he has to find a way to convince us to choose it. Does this even sound like a feasible business plan? Convince people to choose to be miserable? It sounds more like mission impossible. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to convince people to choose misery over joy, bondage over freedom. It just sounds ridiculous. And yet, by all observations, he's been fairly successful in the world at large. And to the degree we have chosen to commit sins, he's even been successful with each of us. With such an implausible goal, how has he been able to convince so many to choose a path through life that leads to misery? How is he able to convince even good people who are generally choosing righteously in life to commit sins? We have to remember that for us to exercise our agency in a way to help us become more like the Savior, we must be enticed by good and evil. The evil has to be enticing or it would be no test, no challenge, no real choice, and thus we would not experience real growth. But by us choosing good in the face of an alternative that is truly enticing, our characters are shaped, and we start to reap the rewards of freedom and peace. We learn more deeply that we trust in a God that cannot lie, and our faith increases. So what makes it possible for the adversary to make evil and sin seem enticing? How do you sell misery, bondage, and disappointment? Well, you have to lie. He's a liar. In fact, he's the father of all lies. The only way he could sell sin is to portray it as something it isn't. He has to convince people that evil is good, or in other words, that sin is right, that momentary pleasure equates with long-term joy, and that sin leads to freedom and happiness instead of bondage and misery. He also throws in the idea that good is evil and that righteousness is bondage. Satan is a master at marketing. He's been at it for a long time, 
but the foundation of his marketing scheme is always lies. Let's look at a few examples from the scriptures. Cain loved Satan more than God. He bought into the lies of Satan and chose to sin. After he killed Abel, there's a very telling description of Cain's reaction. And Cain gloried in that which he had done, saying, I am free. Surely the flocks of my brother falleth into my hands. It's clear he'd fallen for the adversary's portrayal that committing sin, although Satan never calls it that, will bring happiness and freedom. Cain's exclamation, I am free, has to be in the top ten list of most deluded statements in all of Scripture. He found out very soon that he was anything but free and anything but happy because of his action. Yet how many people have felt the same thing, a burst of exhilaration or a sense of freedom when they've committed a sin and think they've gotten away with it? There was a time in the Book of Mormon when the Nephites had become very wicked. Samuel, a Lamanite, was sent to preach repentance to them. He explained to the people, You have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is everlastingly too late, and your destruction is made sure. Yea, ye have sought all the days of your lives for that which ye could not obtain, and ye have sought for happiness in doing iniquity, which thing is contrary to the nature of that righteousness which is in our great and eternal head. They had bought into the idea that they could find happiness in doing iniquity, the fundamental lie upon which Satan bases all of his enticements. Of course, he doesn't label iniquity iniquity. He portrays it as something good and natural. These Nephites had not learned the lesson Alma taught his son Corianton that wickedness never was happiness. Corianton, for a time, had fallen for the lie that he could break the commandments and it would lead to happiness. The adversary doesn't stop after we've decided to commit one sin. He wants us in his power. He wants us to be subject to him. Some of the related terms in the scriptures include cords, bonds, chains, captive, subjection, and even seal. The Book of Mormon teaches us about his tactics to bring people into bondage by degrees. He leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. The imagery is instructive. It starts with a single cord and progresses until they are bound with strong cords. We also read, Others he flattereth away and telleth them there is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains. He carefully leads people into bondage. It's not done in one big Faustian bargain. Just as we progress line upon line in righteousness, we move to bondage sin upon sin. This is one reason parents and leaders are so concerned when a young person starts to make wrong choices. Once we get entangled in the adversary's cords, getting out is much more difficult than getting in. This bondage can be very powerful. In the Book of Mormon, we read about a time that Satan had great power unto the stirring up of the people to do all manner of iniquity and to puffing them up with pride, tempting them to seek for power and authority and riches and the vain things of the world. And thus the people were delivered up to be carried about by the temptations of the devil whithersoever he desired to carry them, and to do whatsoever iniquity he desired they should. And all this iniquity had come upon the people because they did yield themselves unto the power of Satan. Later, as a civilization declined in Mormon's time, he lamented that his people were led about by Satan even as chaff is driven before the wind or as a vessel is tossed about upon the waves without sail or anchor or without anything wherewith to steer her. Now that imagery doesn't convey much freedom, does it? When we yield ourselves to the adversary, 
we become things to be acted upon instead of being free to act for ourselves. I don't know what the actual mechanism is for bringing about this bondage. I don't know exactly what happens in the soul, but I do know that something happens, and it is very real. There is even a tendency to use bondage to sin as an excuse for sinful behavior. For example, someone who is abusive may say that they have always had a temper and can't help it if they yell at their family members. While it may be true that a person has a weakness, giving in to that weakness strengthens its hold on us, and by resisting the temptation, the hold on us is weakened. One of Satan's most effective tools is to clothe bondage in the costume of liberty. Peter warned the early saints about individuals among them who would try to pull them away from the path of righteousness. He described these wicked individuals as having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. They speak great swelling words of vanity. They allure through the lusts of the flesh those that were clean. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. These people tried to lure others to sin by promising them liberty, even though they themselves were in bondage of sin. Korahor in the Book of Mormon tried the same stunt with a twist. He taught doctrines that brought people to the conclusion that sinning would bring them freedom and happiness, but he also focused on convincing people that the commandments and ordinances bound them down, that belief in God, Christ, and the prophets kept them in bondage. Now that's a lie. The truth is living the commandments makes us free. In fact, the irony in this situation is that Korahor was the one in bondage. He was not free. We don't know all of his sins, but one that bound him down was his lying. He always knew there was a God, but repeatedly denied this fact and lied to others about it. When Korahor denied the existence of God to Alma, Alma told him, I know that thou believest, but thou art possessed with a lying spirit, and ye have put off the Spirit of God, that it may have no place in you. But the devil has power over you, and he doth carry you about, working devices that he may destroy the children of God. Korahor had chosen to lie initially and then continued to lie repeatedly until Alma described him as possessed with a lying spirit. Today there are many individuals promoting or condoning sin, and also parts of our culture carry these dangerous messages. For example, we see in the media a lot of modeling of sins with seemingly no negative consequences. We see meanness, law-breaking, disrespect, breaking the law of chastity, immodesty, and profanity in almost a constant stream. Many times goodness and righteousness are portrayed as naive and silly at best and evil at worst. Each of us has sins which easily beset us and bind us down. No one is exempt. You might struggle with something different than what I face. Even Nephi grieved that he struggled with temptations. And why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Yea, why should I give way to temptations that the evil one have place in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? Since each of us has sinned and thus has subjected ourselves to the will of the devil to some degree, we need to somehow be freed from the bondage of sin. The Atonement has power to break these bonds, these chains, this captivity. When the Savior began His public ministry, He referenced a prophecy about Himself and His mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Deliverance and liberty come through Him and His Atonement. 
no matter what the nature of the sins in our lives—dishonesty, pride, hypocrisy, laziness, greed, challenges with the law of chastity, addictions, anger, word of wisdom problems—whatever sins we struggle with, we can be freed from any degree of bondage we may be in. Each of us has experienced this as we've repented in the past. We've felt the true freedom as we've been forgiven and have jettisoned the behavior that has tormented us. Sometimes these bonds are broken in a dramatic way. They seem to burst and we're immediately freed. Other times the cords are loosed rather than burst. It's almost as if a little at a time the cords that are wrapped around us are unraveled. But whether this happens all at once or gradually, the long-term effect is the same. We're free. And either way, it is miraculous. When we obey Satan, we give him power. When we obey God, he gives us power. This is not the message we get from the world, but it's the truth. Real power, the power to become like the Savior, is only found in obedience. Real freedom is found in obedience, in subjecting ourselves to God's will rather than the will of the flesh or the will of the devil. Freedom through obedience. This sounds like a paradox, but those who have lived this way can testify it's true. Obedience brings power, freedom, joy, peace, and hope. While obedience does protect us from spiritual bondage and the misery associated with sin, it doesn't bring us a life without challenges. There are things in this fallen world that can bring misery and suffering, such as sickness, death of a loved one, physical pain, and the actions of others. But misery from these sources will eventually be taken care of by the Atonement. And if we endure them faithfully, they will not have eternal negative consequences on us. However, the misery resulting from sin can only be completely removed if we repent. When we are righteous, Satan has no power over us. Prophecy about the millennium teaches us that because of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power. Wherefore he cannot be loosed for the space of many years, for he hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness. Now this scripture is speaking about the condition which will exist in the world when the people as a whole live in righteousness. But the principle can be true today for us individually. In a description of Captain Moroni, Mormon said, If all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Individually, we can be free from any power the adversary would like to have over us by living righteously. He only gains power as we allow it by our choices. If we have something in our life that's bothered us and bound us down to some degree, let's repent. Let's get rid of it and increase the freedom in our lives. If you'll pick something and work on it, I will too. Agency, the ability to make choices, is a crucial and wonderful gift. And we rejoice that we're here on earth, able to choose good over evil and to progress toward exaltation. As we use our agency to choose the right, reject the evil, and love God, His grace is sufficient for us, and by that grace we will become perfected in Christ. To this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Freedom to Choose. We've just heard from Paul V. Johnson. After the break, we'll return with Ronald A. Rasband for Free to Choose.
This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Freedom to Choose. Next is Ronald A. Rasband, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled Free to Choose. Brothers and sisters, I'm honored to be here today and grateful to have Sister Rasband here and many members of my family. I appreciate the support of President Worthen and his colleagues who are on the stand and in the audience, and I'm grateful for you and for the Spirit of the Lord you have all brought to this devotional today. Our coming together reminds me of King Benjamin speaking to the people at the temple site. Hearken unto me, and open your ears that ye may hear, and your hearts that ye may understand, and your minds that the mysteries of God may be unfolded to your view. In these words, we hear the Lord asking us to exercise our agency, to choose to listen, to choose to feel, and to choose to grasp the doctrines of the gospel as they apply to our individual lives. He is speaking of agency in the most personal sense. My message today is of the fundamental doctrine of agency, the opportunity to choose between good and evil. In the Grand Council in Heaven, we chose to accept our Heavenly Father's plan. It hinges on agency, the freedom to choose. Lehi taught his son Jacob, for it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. We are free to choose liberty and eternal life or choose captivity and death. Our everlasting welfare is dependent on living the laws of God. His commandments are fixed. They do not change except as directed by revelation. We chose to come to earth and receive a body. We committed to live the commandments that we might be worthy of eternal life, the greatest of all God's blessings. Central to our Father's plan was the mission of Jesus Christ and His Atonement that makes it possible for us to repent and be forgiven and recommit to the covenant path. The very name of Jesus Christ speaks of salvation for all mankind. He is the Son of the Most High, our Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the Savior of the world. Yet His work and His ministry was never about Him. He sought only to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That's you and me. Satan, on the other hand, presented his own plan that would have compelled us to live by his rules. His intent was to have a circle about him for his glory. Everyone in this room, everyone who has lived or yet will live on this earth, chose not to follow him. Satan has already lost more than we have right now. He does not have a body. He can never progress beyond where he is today. He can never be exalted. But still, he continues to fight the war that he waged in heaven because he wants more than he has. He wants us to join him in his misery. By divine design, we can become like Heavenly Father and receive all He has. That promise means something on those days when things aren't going right and we ask ourselves, and we've all done it, this is it? Well, it isn't. This is mortality, a stage of progression that guarantees for those who are righteous exaltation in the kingdom of God forever. You probably feel like forever is too abstract, too far away. You may not feel you can even deal with today, 
and you may be dragging around your mistakes from yesterday as well. Perhaps you are thinking, let me tell you, Elder Rasband, about this monster of a class I have, and the lab requirements, and my girlfriend who just dumped me, (laughs) and my car that isn't running well in the cold, and I can't figure out what I'm going to do or what I'm going to major in. And so it goes. Who is thinking about forever? Well, brothers and sisters, you have the agency to look farther than that. You have the capacity to become gods and goddesses in a realm that knows no sorrow and no defeat, that feels no pain and no rejection, that promises light and goodness and peace everlasting. You are children of the light, and you must never let the darkness of today get in the way of your desire to be with God and become like Him. With such uprightness comes joy. President Russell M. Nelson has said, The joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. When the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and His gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of Him. So choose to feel joy because your Savior Jesus Christ has atoned for your sins. For Him, the atonement was a choice. He pled, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. At that crucial moment, He submitted His will, His precious agency, to the Father that the plan of happiness might go forward. Choose to feel joy in your very existence as a child of God. That is not just a catchphrase in the Church or a song sung in primary. Being a child of God means being connected to the heavens while we journey in mortality. Being a child of God means there are expectations for us to make a difference in the Lord's kingdom right now. Again, you have to look farther than today's pleasures, disappointments, worldly accomplishments, or current trends to receive the needed revelation we all need from God. Do not be fooled. You are not of the world. You are divine. My friends, you do not have to do this alone. The Holy Ghost, who is a member of the Godhead, will be your constant companion, guiding and directing you in quiet yet perfect ways. Take advantage of that counsel that reaches far beyond good ideas and worldly wisdom. Gain a testimony by the choices you make that the Holy Ghost knoweth all things and shows all things what you should do. Not everyone in the world has choices like we do. I have visited 138 countries, some in my business career and many more in my church assignments all around the world. I have seen societies where individuals have little choice and little personal growth, and opportunities to worship are few. There are countries where religion is limited by government edict and where personal choices in worship are non-existent. Agency, the freedom to choose, depends on robust religious freedom. Satan sought to destroy religious freedom in the pre-earth life, and he's still at it. We as members of the Church must recognize that the erosion of religious freedom will significantly impact our opportunities to grow in strength and gospel knowledge, to be blessed by sacred ordinances, 
and to rely on the Lord to direct His Church. Let's think of the eleventh article of faith. You haven't been out of primary that long. We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. The Prophet Joseph Smith faced intense persecution for his worship of God the Father and Jesus Christ. But he said in 1843, quote, If it has been demonstrated that I have been willing to die for a Mormon, I am bold to declare before heaven that I am just as ready to die in defending the rights of a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or a good man of any denomination for the same principle which would trample upon the rights of the Latter-day Saints would trample upon the rights of the Roman Catholics or of any other denomination who may be unpopular and too weak to defend themselves. It is a love of liberty which inspires my soul, civil and religious liberty, to the whole of the human race. End quote. To stand for religious freedom is not new to those who worship Almighty God. In the Book of Mormon, we read repeatedly of the Nephites fighting not for monarchy or power, but for their homes and their liberties, their wives and their children, and their all, yea, for their rights of worship and their church. In the 1600s, pilgrims began leaving their homes and countries for what was called the New World, hoping to make a better life and wanting to worship freely and in peace. In the early days of the Church, pioneers fled their persecutors in Kirtland, far west and Nauvoo, finally settling in the Salt Lake Valley, a place which God had prepared far away in the west, where they built what they termed Zion, a place of one heart and one mind devoted to Jesus Christ. In every case, these people chose to seek the Lord and live His ways. For us, the opportunity to choose to live the tenets of the restored gospel is the essence of our freedom of religion. It is not an academic exercise held at arm's length. It is an everyday, every-hour experience. Consider three keys to freedom of religion. Number one, the freedom to believe. Number two, the freedom to live our religion worshiping as we desire. And number three, the freedom to share our faith in Jesus Christ and our knowledge of His gospel with others. Let's look at these three points one at a time. First, the freedom to believe. No one should be forced to compromise what they believe because others may think another way, nor should they be required to live according to another's beliefs. Because of religious freedom, I can stand here today and tell you what I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I have complete faith in Him. Because of the Savior's Atonement, it is possible for you and me to repent and move forward on the covenant path, clean and pure, with our hearts fixed on eternal life. What do you believe? How are you exercising your agency to further the work of the Lord? Do you take to heart the Lord's example when He said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Second, the freedom to live our religion. We chose to make covenants, and we choose to make covenants. When we enter the waters of baptism, and we chose to renew those covenants every Sunday by partaking of the emblems of the Lord's sacrament, we choose to take the Lord's name upon us. His name is not simply another reference to a great leader. This is Jesus Christ. 
the Savior of the world, who atoned for the sins of all. His name has singular and eternal power. When we choose to take His name upon us, we commit to join His legion of valiant, righteous servants. Focused on God's plan, Joseph Smith called it the cause of Christ. We have an honor code at BYU that reflects your freedoms and your accountability. Freedom of religion allows you to attend this school, unique in all the world, for its balance of secular and spiritual knowledge. Freedom of religion means you can attend the temples, be sealed as a family, teach gospel principles as outlined by the Lord, even in your homes, and pray to your Father in heaven and receive personal revelation. The question, then, is how are you exercising your freedom to worship the Lord in these latter days? Third, the freedom to share our faith in Jesus Christ and His gospel with others. We are gathering Israel. President Nelson has called for us to enlist in this great cause. Quote, My dear extraordinary youth, he has said, you were sent to earth at this precise time, this most crucial time in the history of the world, to help gather Israel. There is nothing happening on this earth right now that is more important than that. There is nothing of greater consequence, absolutely nothing. This gathering should mean everything to you. This is the mission for which you were sent to earth. End quote. And strong language. Many of you have served missions for the Church in states and countries far from home. You have borne witness of what you believe and taught others how to believe that same belief in membership in this Church. You understand what it feels like to help others recognize the Spirit that they too might come unto Christ. Years ago, I served a mission in the Eastern States Mission. I loved it. My companion and I taught a young girl named Susan Casey and her family. You can imagine how thrilled we were when Susan and her family chose to be baptized. Not long ago, nearly 50 years since my mission, a woman and her husband approached me at a scouting event. It was Susan. Can you imagine what that reunion meant for us? The scripture when Alma met up with the sons of Mosiah came to mind, for he did rejoice exceedingly. And what added more to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord. So it was with Susan and her husband. As college students, you can be gathering people to the gospel in so many ways. Begin with being an example of the believers, as described by Paul. Choose to exemplify what you believe in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You can be a believer to roommates, spouses, neighbors, work associates, even your teachers. You can join in service with like-minded believers who are not of our faith but who honor God with their lives. You can be an example of one who follows the prophet, who loves him and prays for him. He is, I testify, a man of God, and like Jesus Christ, he goes about doing good. You can engage in all areas of social media, this you can do with those near and far. Speaking of far, our son was a missionary in Kazakhstan. There he taught a young Muslim man named Dmitri Trey. Dmitri chose to be baptized. Fifteen years later, while on assignment for the church in Russia, I met Dmitri, who was then living in Moscow. Dimitri and I FaceTimed with our son Chris, Dimitri's missionary, 
and what a reunion it was for those two. Dimitri has been an example of the believers. More than 20 of his family and friends in Kazakhstan and Russia have chosen to join the Church because of his example. Dimitri and those he has brought to the gospel are gratefully engaged in following their Savior. Think for just a moment, who are you influencing and helping gather to Israel and the gospel? How can you reach out and do more? Religious freedom is central to our worship and our work in the kingdom of God, yet we are seeing the secular world draw boundary lines and set religion and even morality aside. Elder Quentin L. Cook said in an address at a conference on religious freedom held in England last October, The foundations which have historically supported faith, accountability to God, and the religious impulse are increasingly being marginalized in a secular world and derided and even banished from the public square. Liberty without morality and religious freedom is but window dressing. End quote. At that same conference, Rabbi Solovichek said, We should be bringing our whole authentic self to work and to our communities. That includes our religious beliefs, leaving our deeply held beliefs at home, in the synagogue, mosque, or church is to leave a portion of ourself behind and accept a smaller portion of the illuminating light that emanates from the soul of every man and every woman." One of my assignments as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is to direct the Church Communication and Government Relation Committees of the Church. In that responsibility, I am involved in building bridges of understanding, hoping to nurture harmony. I recently was at the Washington, D.C. Temple pressing the switch to illuminate the 400,000 sparkling lights on the grounds for the Christmas holidays. Her Excellency Hunana El-Mugheri, Ambassador of the Sultanate of Oman, in that very large crowd for that special occasion were many other faiths, and she joined me to help in this celebration. For me, it was to declare that we celebrate the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I felt impressed as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to bless them with desire to go into the world to do good to build faith in Almighty God, and to help bring others to a happier place. I had the freedom to give that counsel. We are of different religions, the Ambassador and I, but we are friends sharing common purpose to lift those around us. What each of us brings to society is important. And as we work together, and as we respect and honor the ideas and beliefs of each other, we are choosing to address our differences with harmony and love. I saw harmony and love in action recently in Phoenix, Arizona, when I met with government leaders and participated in humanitarian visits. I saw in action the scripture, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In recent months, tens of thousands of asylum seekers, migrants seeking international protection, have been relocated in the Phoenix area and elsewhere. These are people with nothing, no belongings to speak of. They arrive with no money and no home, and it appears for them no choices. Forty different faith community organizations including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, came together to help rescue these people from their dire circumstances. What a privilege to work side by side with others who are following the Lord's admonition to care for the poor and needy. I was touched both by the desire 
of those who were helping and by the immense gratitude on the faces of those receiving help. Every one of us can make a difference, showing love to God's children, whatever their circumstances and choices. Consider how you might be there for someone on a bleak winter day, and the Lord will be there for you. If you're looking for opportunities to serve, check out JustServe.org. It is a great place to start. Now, at the conclusion of my address, a post will be published on my Facebook and Instagram pages inviting all of you, here and elsewhere, to share with me what you're doing to minister to those who need you. I check my posts regularly and would love to hear of your efforts. When we serve those around us, we fulfill the Lord's divine mandate. As I have loved you, love one another. We can do that, my dear brothers and sisters. And what doth the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? I leave with you this apostolic blessing. May you know and feel the importance of your life in the Lord's kingdom here on earth. I bless you with the wisdom to make good choices, to think beyond the vagaries of today to the profound and divine opportunities that await you. As you choose to follow the Son of God, I bless you with charity for all, whether inside or outside of your circle and with strength to stand for religious freedom and to live with devotion the doctrines of Almighty God. Lastly, in this bicentennial year, as we celebrate the beginning of the restitution of all things, commencing with the first vision with the young prophet Joseph Smith, I add my sure and solemn witness that this is true. I know that Joseph Smith was the first prophet of the Restoration and that President Russell M. Nelson is the Lord's prophet as the Restoration continues in this our day. We love you, we thank you, and we need you. In the cause of Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Freedom to Choose with thoughts from Paul V. Johnson and Ronald A. Rasband. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.